If you've been with us for a little while, it should be start sounding pretty familiar to you because we've read it together for the last four weeks. We're going to see it again this week and again next week as we continue in this series called Teach Us to Pray. We've been sitting at Jesus' feet. Who better to learn from to pray than Jesus himself? And so that's where we find ourselves today in Matthew chapter 6. We'll start reading in verse 9 and we'll read down through verse 14 together. Jesus begins in verse 9 and says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Now as we've been looking at this subject for the last several weeks, what we've seen at the very outset is that all prayer is rooted in the foundational truth that God is a Father. He's a Father who knows how to give good gifts. He's a Father who is intimately involved in our lives. He's a Father to whom we come as children, as helpless, needy, and dependent. All prayer is rooted in that reality of the fatherhood of God. And as you move forward from that in the prayer, what you see is that prayer starts with a recentering of our hearts upon God, upon His name, upon His glory, upon His purposes, upon His honor, upon His reputation. We want to see Him hallowed, set apart, and above everything and everyone else on the face of the earth. And then it moves to the renunciation of self, the exaltation of God, the renunciation of self. God, I want your will. I want your kingdom to come. I want more of your rule and reign to invade my life and my personal space. I want it to invade the more public and expand more publicly as well in our community and across the globe. I want, this, I want you to soften my will into yours so I'm not constantly trying to rub against your will, but I'm running with your will. So there's this adoration of God, the renunciation of self, recentering our hearts upon Him. And then there's an acknowledging of our daily dependence upon God to meet our every need. Give us this day our daily bread. And then we prayer that we're going to look at this morning whenever Jesus moves from the recentering of our hearts on God and, the, renou- and, and the, the, the acknowledging of our dependence upon God to renouncing anything that would stifle our fellowship with God. Anything that would stifle our fellowship with God. And this week we come to the prayer of confession. When Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us this day. Or forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who have sinned against us. Some of your translations might say, forgive us our debts. That's what my translation says. Now debt can be a crippling thing, can't it? We know that to be true financially. It can be crippling. It can stifle our freedom. right? It can, it, it, that's why there's such things as consumer credit because people have found themselves to be crippled by consumer debt in our nation. And they don't know how to manage or handle finances and resources. But I tell you this morning that just as crippling as financial debt can be, spiritually it can be crippling as well. See, when the Bible speaks of sin, sometimes it uses this language of debt to describe our sins. One instance is in Matthew chapter 18 when Jesus tells a parable to his disciples about forgiveness. 
And when he's speaking to his followers about forgiveness, he uses this language of debts to coincide with their sin. And he tells a story of a great king who has, calls in all of his accounts to come before him. And whenever his accounts begin to come before him, he has this one individual, this one servant that comes before him with a massive debt that he owes to the king. Massive amounts of money that he owes. That is, there's no way that he could pay off. He'd be thrown into the debtor's prison for the rest of his life. And the king chooses to cancel the debt, to forgive the debt. And then sends the servant out and the servant meets somebody on the street, one of his buds, who owes him some money far more minuscule than the major, major massive debt that he owed to the king. And he refuses him down for every penny that he refuses to forgive the debt that he's owed. Now in that parable, the language of debt is synonymous with, the, with sin. Is sin. That Jesus uses those terms interchangeably as he tells that story. So oftentimes we see in the Bible, debt is, in a, is akin to sin. And what Jesus teaches us is that for some of us, our prayer lives are crippled, crippled by spiritual debt through unconfessed sin. Through unconfessed sin. And so what this part of the prayer teaches us, listen church, when it comes to forgiveness, let me tell you, there's two types of forgiveness. One of the things it teaches us is this, is that our, while our debt has been canceled before God, our debits need to be confessed. I want you to hear that this morning. While our debt has been canceled, if you are in Christ this morning, if you have crossed the line of faith, if you have given up on your own merits and thrown yourself upon the mercy of Jesus, that your debt has been canceled, but your debits still need to be confessed. Jesus teaches us that there. There are two types of forgiveness. The first type of forgiveness is legal it's a legal forgiveness or a judicial forgiveness. The image here in the Bible is one of a judge who stands to render a verdict on our sin. And you and I stand guilty before this judge as sinners who have rebelled against him and who have run away from him. And, 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 and there's, there's a judgment that's rendered and we are rendered, that, that judgment is guilty. And as a result, we stand justly condemned under God's verdict. And yet the Bible teaches us that for those who are in Christ, Right, this sin debt that they've accumulated before God, what God has done on account of Jesus and His person and work, the life that He lived, the death that He died, that what God has done is canceled that debt, that sin debt that we owed to God, so that there is no condemnation for us, those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a legal forgiveness that we receive, a right standing with God that we're put into. And it's done once and for all. It's not repetitive. It doesn't happen day after day after day. It is canceled fully, finally, and forever as we are forgiven of all sins that we have committed in the past, all the ones that we are committing in the present, and all that we will commit in the future. That's the glory of the gospel of grace, that God has settled our account for us, that our debt has been canceled. In fact, Paul uses that very language in Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, in verses 13 and 14, listen to what he says. He says, And you, speaking to the church, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, speaking of Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How did he do it? By, verse 14, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
See, Paul says that what we owed God on account of our sin, Jesus canceled by paying in full everything that we owed to God. Both a perfect life that we owed to Him and the punitive death that we owed to Him, Jesus paid it all and canceled the record of that the law held against us. He settled all of our accounts before God. And that is the good news of the gospel. That's the legal debt. That's legal forgiveness, judicial forgiveness. That's why Paul can say in Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For what the law could not do, he says, he goes on to say, as it's weakened flesh by our own desires to run and rule our own lives, that we never live up to perfect standards. What the law, what we could not do on our own accord, what we could not accomplish, to the law God has done for us that is grace that is grace that's why John can say in 1st John chapter 1 verse 9 that if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness we we understand the faithfulness part right that God's faithful he's loving compassionate tender and kind his heart is for us and not against us if we are in Christ but how is it just Here's how it's just. Because God, if you are in Christ this morning and you have brought your sins before Him in confession, that it is not just of God to require double payment for your sins. That they've been paid for once. And that's all that it takes. And your debt has been canceled. And while our legal debt has been canceled, church, listen, our legal debt has been canceled, our relational debt, Debt can be accumulated and debited on up day after day after day after day. See, there's a relational forgiveness that we experience with God as well because He's not just judge on a bench who is ready to render a verdict, but He's also a Father. You see, whenever our legal debt gets canceled, we are moved from the courtroom and into the living room with this relationship now with a God as our heavenly Father, not God as our heavenly judge whom we tremble before, but a Father whose heart is for us and not against us. We can be assured that God would never treat us as we deserve because He treated Jesus as we deserve to be treated in our place. And so now we have this relationship and intimacy with the Father. We are adopted into His family. We become children, sons and daughters of God. And we're moved from the courtroom to the family room. And yet as children, listen, we can still do things that grieve the heart of God. We can still do things that grieve the heart of our Father. We can still strain our relationship with Him. And those things, those debits need to be confessed so that we can be assured of God's forgiveness and His cleansing and the restoration of that relationship. We're not talking about the losing of your salvation. We're talking about your intimacy with Jesus. And you, as you walk with Him, as you enjoy Him, as you know Him as a Father, that's what we're talking about, to experience that renewed relationship and intimacy. And while legal forgiveness is dispensed once and for all at the cross through, by grace, through faith, and in Christ, this relational forgiveness is repetitive. So that we should keep short accounts with God and not allow unconfessed sin to linger in our lives because it diminishes our experience of God's love for us. 
See, what you need to know is that as an adopted child of God, your sin can never dissolve your relationship with the Father, but it can strain that relationship with the Father. And what, what that usually results in is this in your life and in mine. It's a diminished prayer life. When our accounts get long with God and our debits go unconfessed, what happens is our prayer life suffers. We don't want to draw near to God because we don't believe He wants to draw near to us. We see there's something hindering that. Something we've been trying to hide from God. Something we've been trying to ignore. Something we've been trying to, to, to keep for ourselves. And so listen, while your debt has been canceled, your debits need to be confessed. It's one of the things this prayer teaches us. Right? In order to enjoy the relationship with the Father that you've been given, you've been brought from the courtroom into the family room. Now listen, I want to, I want to show you two things out of this that will hinder your prayer life when it comes to unconfessed sin. And the first one is this. Our prayers will be stifled by how we treat God. Your prayer life will be stifled by how you treat God, by how you approach God, because sin puts a strain on that relationship. See, your experience with God, listen church, if you are a Christian, if you're in Christ this morning, your experience with God is not mechanical. God is not a vending machine, okay? We don't come to Him kind of drop them in or our dollar bills or now we can swipe credit cards right or debit cards we don't cut some of you are like what's a quarter i've never seen one of those things right so you can you we <laughs> it's not a vending machine that we just put our money into and then expect those goods and services to be dispensed because he's not a robot he's not a machine so our relationship with him is not mechanical right but it's relational there's an intimacy that god wants to have with us our experience with Him is relational and our sin grieves and wounds the heart of our Father and it stifles our fellowship with Him. Those of you who are parents in this room, you know this reality all too well, right? right? Whenever I look at my kids, uh, at, even at 10 and 7, whenever I look at them and I see the way that their hearts are at times running away from God and running toward rebellion and wanting to run and rule their own lives, Right? By the way, that shows up much earlier than seven. I don't know if you recognize that or not, but it shows up very early in life. But when you see that, what does it do? It grieves you. It wounds you. It wounds your heart. It puts a strain on your relationship whenever they respond to you in ways that are disobedient or disrespectful. Does it not? It's it doesn't mean they're not your son. It doesn't mean they're not your daughter any longer, but it strains the intimacy of that relationship. Whenever they harden their against the good authority that God has established in their home and they continue to press and press and press and push and push and push. It, it, it diminishes the intimacy of that relationship. And our prayers can be stifled in the same way as we inflict wounds on the fatherly heart of God. Right, let me show it to you from even the part of the scripture. Six. Psalm 66, the psalmist says these words. He says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what He has done for my soul. This is verse 16 and following. I cried to Him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened, and He has attended to the voice of my prayer. See, what... what the psalmist says in verse 18, if you have your Bible open to Psalm 66, you might want to underline that word cherished or highlight it. Some of you don't even, 
have paper copies, you got electronic copies, highlight it, right? That word cherish, that word cherish literally means this, to look upon with longing and joy, to treasure it, to look forward to it, to carve out opportunities to engage in it. And when the psalmist says, if I had cherished sin or iniquity in my heart, God would not have listened. He says, but since I did not cherish or treasure sin in my heart, he has heard my prayers, right? So if we refuse, to cherish, look upon with joy and longing at sin, then he hears us. But whenever we do cherish sin in our hearts, it says that his ears are stopped up. He doesn't listen, he doesn't hear our prayers. Thomas Goodwin was a Puritan pastor and author. And this is, he, he, when he speaks of sin, one of the things that he says about sin is that all of us, right, have in the cupboards of our lives, that was his language in the day, in the pantries of our lives, right, hidden back in the corner, tucked away behind the cleaning solution somewhere, we have secret sins that we make meals of, he says, that we go into the pantry at times and we open the door and we make a meal out of our secret sins as we cherish them, as we long for them, we look for opportunities to engage them. And in fact, he goes on, he says we've made a stout meal out of it at times. And then he goes on to liken it to a dog. Listen to what he says. He says, as dogs have bones they hide and secretly set, steal forth to gnaw upon, so men have sins, sins they hide under their tongues as sweet bits. You ever seen a dog take a bone and go bury it in the yard somewhere? Right? And then when nobody's looking, they go dig up and they shoot on a little bit more and they bury it back down. Right? Our dog doesn't bury bones and chew on, hide bones. Our dog hides bags of chips. Okay? So if, if we leave the pantry door open and those little individually wrapped bags of Doritos and Cheetos and Fritos that go in our kids' lunches at times, the dog knows where those are and she can reach, she has access to those. And so if we leave her open, there are times that we bags of lays underneath our bed. Right? Or underneath the coffee table or behind the table. And is that she hides them around the house so that when no one else is looking and they can't hear the crinkling sound of her trying to get into the bag, we found the bags turned inside out before with a snout-shaped hole in them as she's dug into those things to consume them and make a meal out of those bags of chips she's hidden around the house. There may be chips still in places we have not yet found. But in the same way, in the same way, Oftentimes we hide sins away in the pantries or the cupboards or under the beds or behind the end tables of our lives. And at times we steal away, as Goodwin says, to make meals out of them. Listen, some of, some of us men in the room, do you wait until the evening time comes and everything is silent and still and quiet in the home and everything is dark and everyone else is asleep so that you can pull up your phone and look at images or videos do you steal away a moment for that? Do you cherish that and treasure it up in your heart and look for opportunities to engage in laying your eyes on things that are not edifying to you and they're not glorifying to God? Or maybe do you steal away moments with friends, trusted confidants in order to slander and about other people? It's like a bone or a bag of chips that you're making a meal out of because it makes you feel good to talk about other people rather than talking to other people. Do you steal away time? Some, some people just love to be sinned against. Why? Because then they can pull out that bone of anger and resentment and bitterness and they can keep chewing and chewing and chewing. See, are there secret sins that you're stealing away in the quiet places and moments of your life that you're cherishing? And the Bible says if you do, 
then God does not hear your prayer. I'm not saying that. That's what the scriptures say. It goes further than that. It says, we might even say, your prayers may be stifled by your unconfessed debits, right? Those secret sins in your life, but also your prayers may be stifled by a disregard for the good rule of God in your life. Listen to what the author of the Proverbs says in Proverbs 28, verse 9. It says, if one turns his turns away his ear from hearing the law. In other words, if you look at the law and says, I know what God has to say about this, but I don't really care what God has to say about this. I don't really, I'm not really concerned as to what God has to say about this or what God thinks about this or how God has established and, and this, how life is supposed to work. If I turn my ear away from hearing, and oftentimes in the Bible when you see that word hearing, it also means heeding and walking in alignment with what you've heard. When you turn your ear away from hearing the law, the author of Proverbs says even his prayer that one is even his prayer is an abomination so it's as if God is saying this and I'll say it as strongly as I can if you refuse to hear from me I will refuse to hear from you it's a hard thing to fall on our ears isn't it that if we store up and treasure sin in our hearts even our prayers are an abomination now listen some of you are getting really uncomfortable right now, but let me, t- let me just say this. What, I, what I'm not saying this morning is that God, in those moments in which we cherish sin, because all of us as believers have had that experience, right? We've had bags of chips, maybe even hidden under different couches in our lives right now. But listen, what I want you to hear is this, is that God will not withdraw His love from you. Right? Because legally... He's bound to you. He's canceled your debt, brought you into the family. He will not withdraw his love from you. But you know what he will do at times? Is withhold a sense of it from your heart. He will withhold a sense of his love. You ever had those moments in your life where you just had an overwhelming sense of God's love and his nearness, intimacy with him? You have those moments in which it seems like is palpable he's right there in your presence and you're in his presence and there's delight and there is joy and there's this overwhelming flooding of your heart with love you sense God's love but then there are also times when we're under the hand of God's discipline in which he withholds not he doesn't withdraw his love he's still his heart is still for us but he withholds the sense of his love from us listen to what David says after his sin with Bathsheba. You know, many of you know the story very well. But when David is in the springtime, whenever the kings go out to war, and David's at home on the rooftops, and he sees a beautiful woman, calls for her, sleeps with her, impregnates her, has her husband killed, and enters into an adulterous relationship with her. And over the course of a year, he refuses to acknowledge it, he refuses to confess it, he refuses to come clean with it. Until Nathan prophet shows up and confronts him with a story and David recognizes I am the man I deserve death and over the course of that year I believe in Psalm 32 David's describing the experience that he has with and listen to what he says in Psalm 32 it says for when I kept silent my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah, which just means pause. It's like a metrical pause to reflect and think about what's just been said. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. 
See, what David is saying is this, is whenever we, ref- when we regard God's good rule for our lives and we refuse to listen we refuse to come under his authority and follow in his le- after his leadership and guidance in our lives, what happens is at times in God's discipline, he holds a sense of his love from our hearts so that we feel like it's 115 with a heat index of 180 and we are, st- we are stifled. Our strength is drained because we've been wrestling internally sin that we've tried to keep away from God and refuse to submit to him and your prayers listen church let me get one more your prayers may also be stifled by your own attempts at self-salvation it may be stifled by your own attempts at self-salvation see some of us in the room whenever we commit a sin here's what we do we may vocally and intellectually confess it before God but emotionally you know what we do? We try to own for ourselves with our guilt and our shame. And we live with our guilt and our shame day after day after day, thinking if I could just feel sorry enough for this sin, then maybe, maybe I would earn the acceptance of God. Maybe God would relinquish this oppressed, this if I just felt bad enough for it. And listen, some of us learn that when it went to be free from the shame of our unconfessed sin because it's straining your prayer life and you won't come to him with anything else because you believe that he's still against you and not for you because you haven't felt bad enough, long enough for whatever sin that you've committed. And it is stifling your prayer life. And here's why. Because you're robbing God of the glory of his grace. You're tr- him as if he's a vendor that you pay money to to from not as if he's a father whose heart is for you and moving towards you and you're robbing him of the glory of his grace see for some of us to have our hearts inflamed in prayer we need to let go of our self-salvation projects and all the shame and guilt that we've been carrying for so long about things that we've done in the past and confessed before God that we need to be free from that and forgiven for it See, the way we treat God can stifle our prayers. So listen, what we need to learn to do is to confess those debits on a daily basis and keep short accounts with God. And what does it mean to confess? To confess doesn't mean, listen, it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean just you go, you know, generally God, I think sometime in the last seven days I've probably sinned and so I'm a sinner, would you forgive me? That's not what we're talking about, right? For God in confession of all known sin in your life. Of those areas God has been placing his thumb, of those areas in which you've been under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, of those places in which you know right now that there needs to be an acknowledgement before God. And what confession means is this. It means to say the same thing. It means to agree with God about our sin. It means to agree with God that our sin, that that debit that we've incurred, is an, a, a, a violation of his will. It is wounding his heart and it is destructive in our lives. That it is not nourishing for us, but is actually diminishing to us. We need to ex- agree with him. Say the same thing that he does about our sin. That's what it is to come and go. If you say, yes, my lust is destroying me, it's destroying 
destroying my family. It's destroying my relationship with you. I acknowledge that before you. And God, would you give me freedom from that? To say, yes, God, my greed, right? My materialism, the things that I've laid my eyes on this week, the heart to want more and more and more and more and more and more and more. Destructive to me and it's robbing you. God, my attempt to atone for my own sin through my guilt and shame, it is robbing you of your, the glory of your grace. God, would you give me freedom? How is that before you? I cannot do anything to atone for my sin myself. Only Christ is able to atone for my sin and His atonement is sufficient for me. I can let go of all my shame. Whatever known sin is in your life, it's bringing that before God. I agree with you about that. I agree with you about that, and I'm turning from it. Would you help me to experience the reality of your forgiveness and no longer withhold the sense of your love from my heart so that I might, like David, come to the end of that confession? And in Psalm 32, I read the beginning of it. This is what David says in the beginning of that psalm. In the beginning of that psalm, he says this in verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David says there's blessing on the other side of confession. There's blessing on the other side of saying the same thing that God says about our sin. And the confession of sin, church, is the path to blessing and a fuller experience of God's love and pardon for us. His desire to give us something good on the other side. So the way that we treat God can stifle our prayer life. But listen, something else this text teaches us and then we're done is this. Is that the way that we treat others can stifle our prayer life the way that we treat others. It's an it's, it's a incredibly convicting, encouraging, and terrifying thing that Jesus says when he says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And then he goes down to verse 14 and he says, for if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father forgives you yours. But if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly Father refuses to forgive yours. Now listen, let me go ahead and say it again. I don't, believe that this is a question of eternal security, of whether or not you are going to enjoy heaven with God one day. I don't believe that's what's going on here in the text. Or if somehow our salvation, rather, I, again, I believe this is a relational aspect of forgiveness. That we are taught our Father, the establishment of the relationship, everything is rooted in that. And then the renewal of that relationship comes through the confession of sin, but also how we treat other people. That the, have you ever noticed that whenever there is strife and whenever there is envy, whenever there is discord, whenever there is dissension, whenever there is division in a relationship horizontally, oftentimes there is issues vertically as well with God. That whenever you're cold and distant and, and, and refuse to show kindness and tenderness and compassion and generosity towards others, that oftentimes it feels that things have dried up in your relationship with God as well. Because over and over again, what you see in the Bible is that oftentimes that God chooses to treat us in relationship the way that we choose to treat others in relationships. You don't believe me? Listen, in Luke chapter 6, 
We find this text in verses 37 and 38, and this is what Jesus says. On the words of Jesus himself, he says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You're like, what's all that shaken down, pressed down stuff going on there, right? First of all, let me just say, it's not name it, claim it, okay? That's not what we're saying. But what Jesus is saying is this. He's got the image of like a container, and you're trying to fill up the container, and you're putting your, your like stuff in, and you're kind of packing it down, and you're shaking it around to kind of loosen up the granules so they kind of condense more firmly down toward the bottom, and you're putting more in until it really just begins to run over. And Jesus says, listen, if you are in the way that you treat other people, then oftentimes you will experience God's stinginess in the way that He treats you. When you refuse to give and be generous, oftentimes you, ref- you, you are forfeiting the blessings of God's generosity channeling through your life. Right? There's this, there's this dynamic that God chooses to treat us oftentimes the way that we, we treat others. And when you're cold and you neglect others and you refuse to forgive others and you harbor envy and resentment and bitterness in your heart towards others, that your intimacy with God oftentimes is diminished, it is stifled, and it affects your prayer life. So in the same way that we need to confess known sin before God, here's what I want to encourage you to do. If this morning there are some of us in the room who know there are things between us and others. I'm not talking about the dude who cut you off in traffic this week. Okay? I'm talking about people who are close to you. It starts in our families. Husbands. It starts with the way that you treat your wives. In fact, Peter even tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, compassionate way, a tender way. Because they are heirs of life with you. And he says, if you refuse to do so, you know what happened? God will not hear your prayer. Husbands, the way that you treat your wives is there animosity between you and your spouse right now. Because you fail to live with her in an understanding way, a tender way. Treat her as a fellow heir of God's grace. And so your prayer life is shriveling. It is stifled because of the way that you've engaged her. or the way. For some of us, that may be the first where we need to start in the way that we treat others. Maybe it starts in our parental child relationships, children. Some of you in the way that you have treated your parents maybe need to come in confession and repentance to them. Parents, the way we've engaged and interacted with our kids. I'm going to go ahead and acknowledge I need at times to apologize and ask for forgiveness in turn from the way that I have been harsh and overly with mine. Right, is there, are there, are there known rifts and divisions relationally in your life right now? It's not hypothetical situations out there, but known ones right now that you need to take action on and move toward the mending and reconciliation of those relationships so that you're not willfully neglecting, willfully refusing to forgive, willfully refusing to offer encouragement to people who are close to you in your relational spheres. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a mother or father. Maybe it's a son or daughter. Maybe it's a husband or a wife. Are you refusing to withhold 
Are you refusing to dispense forgiveness? And so listen, as we close this morning, I want to just draw back to those two practical things. For some of us, for our prayer life to be inflamed, for it to be stimulated, we need to confess known sin and we need to reconcile known severs. Places where relationships are severed. Places where there's division and strife. Where is that for you this morning? The band come and lead us in song and as we do, here's, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Spend time this morning, whether you, whether you sing a lyric of the song that we're going to sing together or not this morning, spend time asking God like David, God, would you search me and know me? Would you show me, would you surface up, God, anything that is in me, any desire, any motive, any action that's within me? Give to me. And then as you acknowledge those, agree with him that yes, they are offensive to him, they are destructive for me. And then maybe would you take time as well to say, God, would you show me if there are places where I am out of bounds, horizontally in relationships, that I need to move toward because God after the But I want to experience once again the joy and the freedom of your forgiveness. Your debt was canceled, but your debits need to be confessed. Would you pray with me? Father, we come today. We thank you for your grace and kindness. We thank you for Jesus who for our sake became sin for us so that our debt would be nailed to the cross so that it would be dismissed that it would be canceled because it was paid in full that Jesus everything that we owed a perfect life and a punitive death we might be brought from the courtroom to the family room and know you as a father May we continually confess our debits, the debits that we make every day. May we keep short records by confessing all known sin, not cherishing sin and hiding it and storing it away to go and chew on it and gnaw on it and make a meal out of it when no one else is around. God, resist your rule in our lives. Hear from you. Do not try to continually come back to the cross and be reminded that the payment of Christ is sufficient. Be free from shame and guilt and God that we might once again know the joy and the freedom. Wherever there's known sin, may we confess it. And wherever there is, there are known, there's known strife and sins, may we move toward mending, move toward reconciling the first step and not sit inside waiting for the other person to move towards us but may we, we in humility move towards them acknowledging where we have been out of bounds where we have sinned against them we walk in mercy knowing that vengeance is yours much better at dispensing justice than we are 
live in mercy. This morning as we spend time in prayer, Father, may you, may you reveal to our hearts reveal to our hearts and make known our strife. We might again walk in fullness and freedom. We pray it in Jesus' name.